All right. So, uh, like we were just joking about, let's <laughs> let's introduce each other. So I'm. Uh, this is Ryan Meeks, and what do I know about Ryan? Um, so the skeleton of a story would be something like this. When Ryan was pretty young, he started a, what would become a mega church. And if I have the details correct or correct enough, um, your dad's a pastor and you even had some mentors maybe in his circle that were like, this guy, he's, he's got it and we'll help you. <laughs> Uh, we'll set you up, um, we'll cheer you on in some way. And it worked. And it worked in an area of the world in the Pacific Northwest, outside suburbs of Seattle, which I always assumed Seattle was like everyone there um, listened to Pearl Jam and um, was totally <laughs> green. <laughs> and But it turns out it's a little more complicated than that maybe, especially in the suburbs. I mean, it's just, would you say it's a place of transplants? I mean, it kind of strikes yeah. me that way. It's a place of transplants. And many of these people came from the Midwest, maybe. Um, but that's a guess I have. So um, yeah, so Ryan started a mega church and it worked and it was really mega in my, in my opinion, whatever. I mean, meaning a lot of people came and you did a lot of creative and interesting things like pushing on certain aspects of social justice and global world engagement, like water in um, parts of the world that need water. Um, and you were a kind of leader that led with a lot of enthusiasm and were a kind of magnet slash father <laughs> to many people who um, were looking to church as a kind of family even a mega church. And it is, and it is surprisingly, it is that people think no way it's too big. I don't, I disagree. It can very much feel like a family for people. Um, and then something happened. Um, and you, you're the trajectory started to not look like an evangelical mega church pastor. And you always struck me as sort of a, a philosophically oriented person, uh, maybe more than me in, in terms of interest in philosophy and ideas and you started following these the, those ideas down paths that were going to eventually cause you problems only one of which made you mini famous which is <laughs> you decided at a certain point this is getting long this is a long introduction um you decided at a certain point enough is enough with lgbt stuff we're going to be a totally open and affirming church and it just cracked the thing. Maybe it was already cracking, you could say, but it just cracked the thing, the systems, what is holding it together? What the hell is the Bible? Why are any of us here? Who is this guy? Are, is he a heretic? On and on. And somehow your church is called Eastlake. It survived all that, but you didn't survive in maintaining the role you had. Eventually you found your way out of there. Um, and I could fill in a lot of other details and I'm only just focusing on, I guess, the church piece. Um, because the other side is that I got to know you just as a person, not as like a mega church pastor and at a vulnerable time in your life. And I was, a, it was a vulnerable time in my life too. 
we got to know each other and and I got to be a um, a person in your orbit when you had cancer. So mm. that's the Ryan Meeks that I've gotten to know besides the 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 skeleton of um, you know what it looks like from the outside. The, that's maybe a better way of saying it. What your quote journey looks like from the outside peering in. I didn't really see you ever in those, in everything I just described. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we came into each other's lives in a unique time for sure. All right. So I, I get to take a stab at this then. Yes, you do. Okay. Kent Thelonious Dobson. <laughs> what is your middle name? <laughs> My middle name is Edward, which is very cute. Edward. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that is royal. All right. So as this plane goes overhead, um, Kent Dobson, uh, interestingly enough, his father is also a pastor. We both had mega church pastor fathers, which is interesting. Um, and like myself, found, him, found himself at a young age a part of one of the most influential churches of the last few decades in America, and some would say even the world. Um, and really on the ground floor of this idea of reimagining um, what church could be and what it looked like to uh, open the scriptures and try to relate it to folks who had pretty much been uh, disenfranchised from the whole idea of of uh i don't know a very united states version of white jesus and um even though it it was many years before we ran into one another you know i think it's interesting that that church was already may having an impact on my own journey and so kent spent a number of years um in various leadership roles starting as the uh, as the music guy Oh, yeah. <laughs> leading those praise tunes put your hands together <laughs> come on church <laughs> and uh <laughs> and and i imagine and of course I, I know some of these details but just grew as a as a person and as a leader you know uh because the growth was absolutely uh, overwhelming maybe you could say i mean what what you guys had to grapple with at that stage was immense but eventually um just feeling really called into a deeper personal journey. And through some relationships, uh, he found himself in Israel. And uh, Kent has um, spent a lot of time teaching in various settings, but in Israel uh, really it was a large turning point. And in some ways you could say that uh, based on my understanding that, uh, you know, Kent went there to really establish his faith in a deeper way. And uh, much like me, the fantastic ride down the slippery slope starts in unexpected places. <laughs> and he had to climb all the way up to the top of Mount Sinai to begin his ultimate descent uh, down into, I don't know, as onto a vast plain, perhaps, in, in Rilke's words. And um, after you know, some transition uh, at the church that he had been a part of um, after teaching uh, as a role in schools. Was it public? It was private schools. Private I think schools. You're teaching yeah. in some yeah. private schools. 
um, ended up being offered the teaching pastor position at that very church that he helped start. And it seemed like a good transition and an opportunity for him to um, be innovative. And so he jumped into that. And I think it was only two years into that experience that we ended up four years. Yeah. Four oh, no, years into that you're, I, I thought, uh, no, you're right. Two years into two, that experience. Right? We, yeah, yeah we right. connected. So, <laughs> so two, um, I, I don't know what the word would be Two um, very confused, uh, disabused mega church pastors who with one foot out the door meet in a bar or, or wherever we met <laughs> yeah <laughs> in Sa- in san marco florida maybe mm-hmm. or marco island that's what it was marco island yeah by a pool yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah by a pool at a uh i don't know an episcopal church with brian mclaren or something like that mm-hmm. but um yeah and in in a lot of ways you know just as we started to hang out um one-on-one was right when you were on your way out. And mm-hmm. I think I was at your second to last weekend before you announced that you were going to be uh, transitioning. I remember we were at a restaurant somewhere out there in Grand Rapids, maybe even even Ada or something like that. Mm-hmm. Some little strip mall burger joint or something. And just over beers, we were just looking at each other going, are you done? I'm feeling so done. <laughs> <laughs> and a friendship was formed. Totally. The, uh, the two guys who were going nowhere, or at least didn't know where we were headed next, uh, bonded over this just real felt sense of this is no longer working for me. I wish it would, because mm-hmm. in on paper or whatever, it does work. You know, we have influence and people who look to us for guidance and all the rest of it in large churches and and, uh, and yet there's just something at the level of, I, I guess, soul that was just like, it just had to shake this whole thing off. And I remember I listened to, to your farewell talk. Uh, I think I was on, on a trip in Nashville, Tennessee. And I remember I'm, I have a bunch of friends with me at the time we're in this hotel room and I'm listening on in headphones and event I'm laughing so much like, and I'm exclaiming over and over like, Oh my God. Yes. Because of the <laughs> things you're saying. I'm like, he did it. I think you said something about, don't worry guys. I'm not leaving tomorrow. I'll load up the t-shirt cannon of sermons and just <laughs> pump them out here before I leave. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh damn it. He beat me to it. You know, like, uh, it was it was a moment I'll never forget just being like, OK, and it, I think it took me another few years before I could really get honest with myself or, or find within me the courage, perhaps, to realize that, you know, I wasn't coming back. Mm. Yeah. This this journey out was coming to a close. And uh, so just really grateful we've been able to connect and uh after you left mars you know having you out to east like multiple times and really became a part of the teaching team and and we got to lead all these wilderness uh excursions together helping people connect with their wholeness and nature-based practices and, um yeah just so grateful for all yeah. the time we've gotten to share and it's been a bummer this year because of all this all this uh pandemic madness we haven't been able to do that this year so i was just reflecting to a friend just this morning that uh, that's one of my big griefs of 2020. I haven't been able to see my buddy Kent. Yeah, me so too. It's good awesome. to see you. Yeah, yeah, and um, 
I mean, I'm already starting to look at next year, hopefully, <laughs> in terms of wilderness experiences. I think a, a surprise in my life, maybe, maybe this is not a surprise for you, but um, I like teaching. I enjoy teaching. I can do it in all kinds of settings. And mm -hmm. one of the things I, I probably would have said of myself back in megachurch land is that I don't really care for meeting with people one-on-one -on -one or in these kind of smaller settings. I think if I, as I reflect on it now, it's probably because I had no idea who I was. <laughs> so mm. if I don't know who I am, uh, it's a much more scary situation to sit with someone in, in a very honest, forthright, vulnerable way. But that's the, the funny thing is as soon as I left church, it's like, that's been the most compelling and interesting part of my life, you know, <laughs> yeah. with people, taking people out to wild places, talking honestly about meaning, um, and, and personal struggles. And anyway, it's, um, and I, I actually learned a lot from you just in terms of, uh, how to be with people and how to be with small groups of people and, and mm -hmm. how to, how to be with people in a loving and fierce way. That's like, and that's an interesting combination to me. It's like, hmm. um, it's one thing to be just loving, like, oh, I accept, you know, you just as you are, which is needed. And it's quite another thing <laughs> to also be fierce and say, and you need to change your life. <laughs> and yeah, and I don't know, I, I've, I've learned a lot uh, from you in, in that respect, uh, working together in hmm. these kind of, um, in these wild places with people. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that was pretty good. That was a pretty good uh, introduction. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did it. We nailed it. <laughs> we, we did. Podcast closed. Um, <laughs> so um, I guess my feeling is uh, maybe, maybe I think I'd like to ask the question for us to maybe muse on the question. What, what were you following um, that would that was compelling enough and also maybe scary enough because both of us were dragging our feet for various reasons. But what were you following that would compel you to leave such a, in a way, a cush job? I mean, it's not cush. I mean, anyone who's a pastor knows it's actually not. <laughs> it's very hard. Um, yeah. But on paper, people would say, like you said before, on paper, hey, you get paid well, you have a flexible schedule, uh, you have a certain amount of freedoms. And God, you only talk for like an hour on Sunday anyway, you know, or whatever people yeah. assume goes on. <laughs> um, but it was, in some respects for me, it was a, I did have a flexible schedule and I had friends and I had people looking out for me and, and a lot of people don't have that in their work environments. And so I was really, it's not like for me, that's what was causing me the problem, my work environment. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, to come back to the question, what kind of threads started appearing that, um, I don't know, pulled you in a certain direction. Yeah. Oh man, that's a great question. I, I was even already thinking about it when you first asked it. Um, I think the first that instinctually what comes to mind is just, I, I it, almost like the image of sandpaper. There was just this irritation like what I can imagine, uh, you know, these little hermit crabs go through when they go from shell to shell, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like this 
doesn't fit anymore. And of course there's in, in our situation, you know, like, just like you, I was in a, I was in a position where I had, um, a certain degree of like respect. I mean, I had started the church with my wife, Michelle, and we had been there the whole time. And so there was enough of like personal sweat, blood and relational equity in the body of the people that, um, like you, I wasn't trying to get away from some sort of place that didn't appreciate me. Mm -hmm. And so in many ways that worked against me. Like I was, whatever misgivings I was having with let's say Christianity or just church in general, it certainly wasn't because I wasn't getting respected. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, in fact, the more I revealed of my own personal journey, the more I was eroding the level of respect I had for my <laughs> congregation. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute. Like, Guys, my faith is real shaky right now. You know, <laughs> basically it was what I was saying over a four year period. And uh, yeah, so I think that's the first thing that comes to mind is just this low level, like this is chafing me. Like, I don't know why I have this, almost like somatic rash when I go into this place or when I open the Bible or when I try to teach in a way that I know I should teach, you know, should in quotes, the idea, like I know the party line that at the end, it's all about Jesus and, you know, our trust in this salvific magic uh, act that occurred on a cross and, Somehow I got to bring it home while making it fun and entertaining with stories from my life. And, you know, I just <laughs> and, got to a point where that was just irritating me. Yeah. And, and then another part was, cause for me, I think the wheel started coming off probably about 2010 when we had a large enough congregation that I could afford a staff and we had a facility. So there was no more hiding from the, irritations and the sort of split in my spirit that I was experiencing. And I'd done enough travel internationally with global relief work that I'm meeting, you know, these beautiful Hindus and Buddhists and atheists and Muslims. And I'm thinking to myself, I think they're okay. I like, I don't, it just felt bizarre to assume Hmm. that I would fly from the suburbs of Seattle, you know, from Microsoft land to the middle of India and somehow I needed to make them become like me it just seemed insane. Mm. And, but coming home from those experiences just made it that much harder than to go back to teaching that we had the truth. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and that irritation just led me to be like, okay, what do I, at first it was a good sort of pious committed Christian boy inside me who was like, well, there must be something I'm not, I got to sort out the mess of my own faith because, you know, somewhere this Christianity works and I must be the problem. Yeah, how did you um, do that? I mean, what, what, how did you start? Do you mean you started mm-hmm. like examining your, the tenets, the beliefs, the ideas and your personal relationship with the ideas? Is that what yeah. happened? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it started with, once I realized the um, how evangelicalism was such a new kid on the block, mm. 
it was just kind of like, all right, well, the sort of the fundamental fundamentalism of this particular strain of Christianity is it, it wore too thin. And I was kind of over that pretty quickly, but it left me without like a, a, a mooring in a sense, we weren't denominationally affiliated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, it kind of sent me on a search for a, a deeper connection to a more ancient form of Christianity that felt more authentic to like sort of the, what I understood to be, a more historical Jesus, you know, getting away from white American Jesus or white uh, mega church business Jesus, all that kind CEO. of stuff. Jesus, yeah, CEO, Jesus CEO, yeah, cage fighter Jesus, which was a big thing in Seattle at that time with the other Marcel. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, Mark Driscoll's whole thing about you know tough Jesus. Is oh yeah, Jesus back, is a bad all that kind. Of, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that that kind of stuff. So that drove me to like you know, investigate, you know, whether it was at the Episcopal tradition or the Catholic tradition or Greek Orthodox. Um, and that particular part of the journey uh, had a long, <laughs> a long layover in Anabaptist theology for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. oh, okay, this makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, So give us a brief, please. give us a sentence on Anabaptist theology, particularly what you were resonating with. First of all, can we just laugh at how difficult it is to get back into the consciousness that I was in, (laughs) like giving a shit about Anabaptist theology right now? I'm like, oh my God. But what I can recall is that I loved the focus on like red letters, like, look, supposedly Jesus is like, the leader of this thing I'm supposed to be up to mm-hmm. and everything should be interpreted through the lens of the, the primary teacher. Okay. And I appreciated the nonviolence of scripture. I was tired of seeing Jesus appropriated as a, as a reason for America to go to Kuwait or something. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of like humility and nonviolence um, and as I looked around at the ways that I saw Anabaptist theology manifest itself in the world, it, whether it was true or not, I could see that it seemed to work in a beneficial way for the broader community of life. Hmm. Since pragmatically, I was just like, even if, even if these people are crazy, as far as their metaphysics or whatever, or their beliefs about scripture, the result is beautiful. Like I see people who are striving to live in a balanced way with the earth. I see people who are trying to, you know, work for peace instead of buying into the myth of redemptive violence. Like I'm seeing people who are amplifying Jesus where I was so turned off by what I saw as Paul worship Mm -hmm. in evangelicalism or even in just like the contemporary uh, mega church, Mm -hmm. putting all scripture on an equal plane you know, which didn't make sense to me. I'm like, these are the words of Jesus and this is Old Testament. Like, how do we do that? So anyway, those were some of the things that that initially drew me in there. And I, I stayed there for a while thinking, okay, this was a much more palatable um, style, if mm-hmm. you will, a way to wear Christianity that that fit me a little bit better. Mm, yeah. Um, okay. So, but that that's not enough to... Yeah, well, we still had like, the issue of LGBT inclusivity, mm-hmm. which was just so, 
so detestable to me the way that I, it didn't matter whether it was Greek Orthodox or Catholic or the Episcopals had nailed this, at least, I guess, in the 70s. But for the most part, all of these other ancient forms were sort of riddled with their own, you know, whether it was a low view of women or, mm-hmm. or a lack of inclusivity, you know, it just wasn't enough. It always was this, this wall that I couldn't get over mm-hmm. that just felt like unnecessary limitations on this infinite experience of divine love through this person of Jesus. And, and I guess I've just never been, you know, if you're into astrology, my, uh, my ascendant is Scorpio and the planet Uranus is in Scorpio in the first house, which is the house of identity. So part of this is just who I am. I'm not interested in any constriction <laughs> yeah, and I don't yeah. care about tradition. So anytime <clears throat> that's not I a good combo. If you want to be a, if you want to be a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm not and, good at following the rules. And if you think about um, just what is a pastor or the archetype? Well, right, it's actually, yeah. it gets a little convoluted in Protestant Christianity because maybe you have a couple different expressions, but maybe the simplest, oldest archetype is a priest. And the priest is the gatekeeper. That's what they do. Totally. They, and yes. and that's, not, that's not a bad thing. If that's the calling and, and you need gatekeepers, otherwise just would be a flat universe. So, mm-hmm. all right. But if you're not particularly oriented to be a gatekeeper, as I'm not either, um, that yeah, you're bound to run into, into trouble. Um, and especially like, I, I don't want to be a gatekeeper who's protecting a pile of bullshit. Either. Like I can, <laughs> yeah. like if, if I'm protecting the well for the community where we all are sustained by this, you right. know, spring, then that's one thing. And I, what I started to feel like is I was just guarding the garbage, you know? And I was like, I don't, and you know how it is like a, when you kind of are the hired constable of moral behavior in mm-hmm. some senses. This is even more true in a small church. So my, my heart goes out to those guys, but people, you know, want to like tell on one another or they, they expect you to police the lives of other people as a pastor. And that just got so old. Yeah. It's gross. That's the feeling. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what about um, you? What was your thread? Or oh unless God. you want to continue down this road. Um, I mean, okay, it's just a good question. Um, I started, well, one thread that appeared was the, the alluring mirage of the historical Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, and I still find it alluring. And I, there's something, it's a great gift to the over culture of Christianity to have to bump into the possibility of a historical Jesus who wasn't a Christian, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, that, that appeared on the horizon almost at the beginning of Mars Hill. And maybe the seeds were even planted by Dallas Willard, a good straight ahead evangelical, but his Mm -hmm. reading of, of the uh, Beatitudes as descriptive rather than prescriptive. In, In other words, a description of an of a different kind of consciousness, even if you wouldn't use that language, that's the language I would use now. Yeah, that was attractive to me. And I was like, well, uh, what is this? I wouldn't have said this at the time, but 
what is this consciousness? And because mm-hmm. mainstream evangelical rules and mainstream evangelical ins and outs, who's in and who's out, is not working for me. And Jesus seems to be, seems to see the world differently. And so that was really attractive. I mean, that, that, you know, that's why, like, as you said, part of the reason why I moved to Israel was in pursuit of this mirage. Mm. And um, there's a, there's a, a famous scholar who said, once you look down the well, far enough, you see your own reflection. <laughs> He's talking about <laughs> what happens in the pursuit of the historical Jesus. Like, voila, imagine these fantastic scholars see a reflection of themselves in the end. And that, that, that started to disturb me. So um, the initial thread was, if I could just get back to the original form, and I did a, li- a little bit of uh, playing with more ancient traditions, you know, even when I was at Mars Hills, like, God, if we could just stick to the calendar, you know, if we could, yeah, maybe right. Maybe I should <laughs> preach according to the, what do you call it? The um, lectionary. The, yeah, the yeah. lectionary. I did the same thing. Exactly. I did the same thing. Yeah. Isn't so that funny that we both had this, Im- this impulse to find something that was deeper and richer and older as a, almost like, not that it was the first step. There were many steps before that, but that is interesting. And I see that as a pattern in a lot of, a lot of pastors who yeah, so do I. move so out. Do I. If I see an evangelical pastor saying, um, I'm going to be preaching from the lectionary. I think, Oh shit, here, here he goes <laughs> <laughs> or here she goes like this down is... <laughs> the hole. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cul-de-sacs on the way that people can get stuck in, but yeah, yeah. it can. It and it's can, a good one. Uh, and, and actually if just to defend that f- for a minute, um, yeah. One of the main critiques of evangelical Christianity is cult personality. You know, totally. I can, as the spiritual authority, take this place in whatever direction I want. And that talk about a gross feeling. It's a horribly spiritually uh, dark realization when you see mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, my God. OK, so just to want to appeal to something larger, I think is a good mm-hmm. intuition. And plus you know, I, I have my own views about archetypes and ancient images and, and how they, how they're in the, the unconscious anyway. So, um, in some ways I'm still in that game of how old is this? Like I, I sometimes I have, I've had a feeling recently, especially with all the, the contemporary news that I don't know what era I'm living in. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I, if, I'm in the middle of Yeats's poem about the second coming where <laughs> the, the, what does he say? The, uh, the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity, something like that. Or if oh, I'm, that's him. I thought yeah, that was Bertrand Russell. I learned no. something today already. All yeah, right. That's Yeats. Um, that's in the poem second coming. Okay. Am I, is that, or am I a medieval monk right now am i or am i in a cave you know having am i am i am i drawing pictures on a cave you know i'm 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 describing kind of an existential feeling like i don't know Mm -hmm. what era i'm living in And, and part of that is that i think these ancient forms and images and even that early intuition like i've got to ground christianity in something older than american whiteness um, mm-hmm. I have to find this thread. Otherwise this is just a joke. Um, mm-hmm. it's probably is a good intuition, I think. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, that was a bit of a detour. Uh, 
Yeah, so I think I was talking about threads. Um, but the problem with, I guess, taking a scholarly path, which is where I started to go, is that I realized I'm probably not going to be an academic. I don't have the palette for um, flexing with footnotes, which is yeah, what totally. a PhD is like, look at my footnotes. And yeah. it's just not my game. It's a good game, but it's not my game. And so when I moved back from Israel, I couldn't imagine a life. I didn't have the courage to imagine something outside of evangelical Christianity. Those were all my connections, all yep. the names I knew. I, I knew the roles. Um, I knew when to push and exactly where the, the borders were. So mm -hmm. I, I just lodged myself in a way and with my fingers crossed back into the arena of, of the Christianity that I knew. And mm -hmm. part of me knew this is just not going to last. And, mm -hmm. um, and eventually it didn't, but, um, and the, the second thread actually comes right out of that, which was, uh, it's like I could see, I knew at, at a certain point there would be a convergence. I just didn't know when, and it was going to ask something of me. And I was afraid it was going to ask, give all this up, which it did. <laughs> so, which, <laughs> yeah. and that's why I was so resistant to it because it's not for me, it was not just give up a job. In fact, I was, when I quit Myers Hill, I was not quitting my job. That was a necessary gate to go through, but something had happened prior to that. It was just, it was like a, it was like a snake, I guess, shedding its skin in a way. It just, that was just an element, but that mm. wasn't the radical thing. It was just mm. something that had to happen. And um, I couldn't, I couldn't say yes to what I would now say was the mystery or God or my own soul or something continuing to unravel who I was and maintain this position. It, it just, mm -hmm. it didn't work. And I'm not saying that's true for everybody. It's, it's probably not, but, mm -hmm. but for me it was. And what was being asked is, was something like, uh, well, it, first of all, it was the feeling you don't know who you are. That, that's mm -hmm. what it was. You have no idea who you are. And I can't very well say, Hey, you're right. And also I know who I am in this context. So leave me alone over here. It just, it didn't work. Yeah. I had to go all the way through and um, sink into what, what is kind of um, a kind of sweet um, fog to, to say yes to that loss of identity and, and mm -hmm. to it's sweet in the sense of it feels freeing, but it's still a fog. It does, it, at least that's how it was for me. It wasn't like my inbox the next day appeared with some other identity that, hey, you know, good luck. The president has called and you're being asked to fill in the blank, you know, I know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's so similar because when I think back to, you know, when I try to put myself back in the headspace of different seasons of this, sort of slow exit <clears throat> one i never knew that's where it was headed mm. and 
in some ways, it sounds like for both of us at some levels, it started with this sense of like, I don't think we, and really me, know what we're talking about here. (laughs) And, (laughs) but we know that enough, we can sprinkle enough the gospel in, you know, these phrases Mm -hmm. that we all know, but when you really get down to asking people to define these things, what are we really talking about? Um, it got really, it got so abstract that it just felt like, okay, I used to have certainty. Now I'm unclear. And so it drives you down a road of, let me, let me dig down to the root here, right? Let's mm. ancient traditions, yes. older forms of Christianity, different expressions around the world so that I can get to something true. Once I take all the decorations off the tree, I, you know, I want to see what I'm left with. And I think for me, I, I think I kept hoping that every decoration I took off, I would arrive at the pure version of Christianity or a pure view of Jesus. And by the time I got to the end, I realized that there was no tree under all of it, at least for me. (laughs) And I was like, oh, there's not even a tree. And 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 I'm laughing now, but I was not laughing then. I wept in 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 as many ways as you can weep, you know. And I I didn't want to lose, you know, what I back then I thought I was losing my faith. Now I realize I lost. The way I say it to, you know, when I coach people, especially evangelicals, is you think you lost your faith. What you lost was a particular lexicon or a, a glossary of terms for yeah. these experiences of unitive oneness with, you know, the universe or whatever, whatever language you want to use there. But the point is, is those, those words don't work anymore, but you still know what it feels like to self-transcend and you know what it feels like to forgive and and uh, you know what it feels like to build community. And, and so all of these sort of values can still be there. But for at least for me, it started with the need uh, to, oh, my certainty has gone. Let's it. Mm-hmm. Let's what? And it, by it, the it, end, say it again. It broke up. Certainty has gone. Let's yeah. fix it. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. I was like, okay. oh, I lost yeah. my certainty. Yeah. We don't know what we're talking about. Let's address that. Let's mm-hmm. fix that. Let's solve That's right. it That's right. yeah. by going to the root. And then you dig far enough in. And if you're really open to like reading some of these studies, you realize like, ah, we don't really know how much of this Jesus ever actually said. (laughs) And because then when you're like, uh, you know, let's go back to Anabaptist Ryan. Anabaptist Ryan was like, well, we just need to focus on the words of Jesus because at least we know he said these things. And then you're like, ah, maybe not so much. (laughs) And then you just find that like, it's just harder and harder, especially megachurch, right? If you don't have some solid objective, we have the truth. Like, even if you're like, we don't, we have a lot of questions, but we know this. Yeah. If you don't have that nucleus, yeah. it's really hard to bang the war drums. Of, Let's go out and, you know, be missionaries, to, even in the workplace, you know, because you're yeah. like, well, we don't know if we're right. And evangelicalism has no idea what to do if it's not the, the people with the truth. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, and actually, um, even more than beat the drums and go into the workplace, it's uh, it's keeping the thing alive financially in terms of tithes and gifts. Because if yes. you can, if you still have that one or two points where you can say these are non-negotiables. Period. I will die on this hill. People mm-hmm. are a lot more likely to say, okay, you know. 
Oops, here's my, here's part of my paycheck. But when you're like, I I don't know, could be uh, just trying to, you know, be a presence in the world. That's not exactly like, you know, people don't get their checkbooks out for that as you. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I did (laughs) it. This is the dumbest move. I did a talk called stop tithing to the angry God. And I remember, I remember we had an, like an elders meeting and they were like, that was, I mean, it was good. Maybe not the most financially helpful <laughs> talk you've ever done. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's like, man. It's just so hard. This, the whole model, you know, it, it only works in so far as you're, I mean, people are paying for a service, no matter what, how spiritual mm-hmm. you want to phrase it. Yeah. Um, people don't like living life without closure without conclusion without some level of certitude and and they outsource it to their pastors mm-hmm. oftentimes at least that's my experience in evangelicalism it's like okay you do the you go on the journey you know it's even more fun if you kind of have a spicy background life you know yeah, like i yeah, was exactly i was a pimp and a drug <laughs> dealer and then jesus found me and then People are like, he's amazing. And then I went to Bible college and seminary. And now I write a bunch of them, a famous megachurch pastor. And I know these things to be true so that they can go back and do 60 hour work weeks on Microsoft and do the rest of their stuff. And they can crack their Bible twice a year or, or maybe even twice a month. And, you know, they just need you. You're the, you're the outsourced faith guy. Mm-hmm. And what's really <laughs> uncomfortable for people is when they realize that they've been outsourcing their faith to somebody who is actually on a journey themselves. Yeah. It's, it's scary. That's right. Yeah. You're like, Oh shit. Yep. If you don't believe anymore, I have to confront what the hell do I believe? And that creates chaos. It does. And (laughs) I mean, I had an elder say something similar to me because I gave a sermon that I don't, I, 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 I should have titled it something like you don't need to come here. And he was like, hey, loved it. Just, you know, I, I believe that. It's very passionate. And, uh, and, it, and it does seem true. On, on, on the other hand, you can't tell people that, you know, because yeah. then they won't come here. Exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, this is actually, that's the problem with even taking the words of Jesus more seriously, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we really want to do that. I don't know if we really want to take them all that seriously. We want to take the ones that seriously affirm our confirmation bias. Those, those we'll take seriously, but other ones that, that are a stumbling block, you know, this is why he ends up murdered. You know, this is why people killed Jesus because he is a stumbling block and that's a hard thing to worship. It is like (laughs) worshiping a a massive spiritual stumbling block and, 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 and worse the, the language of Christianity is, is to love that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a strange paradox. Um, it just makes sense. You know, you see it, it, it just plays itself out over and over again. I don't care whether it actually happened, but like, you know, riding the donkey into Jerusalem, we want to be like, yay, save us. That's the worship impulse. Yeah. And when it's like this, I'm, I'm nothing that you expected or wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to answer any of those things. Yeah. I'm here to disrupt your worldview and frustrate, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm here to bring a sword and I'm going to divide people like those kinds of yeah, language. Like you're like, Jesus, you're not really, you know, who's my mother and who's my you yeah. know, brother. It's like, he has nothing to say about traditional American family values. <laughs> this I guy's going to be a problem. Maybe we should stick to Paul. <laughs> yeah, Paul, <laughs> Paul is, yeah, he's more technical. 
He's, he's yeah. entering the kind of conversation that makes sense to a Western educated yes, person. Western, Jesus is sure. speaking like an Eastern. Oh, actually, Paul is too. I don't want to throw Paul under the bus. He does say some very mystical things. And even when, if you push sure. Paul, which he apparently was being pushed, he won't talk about his own experience. He says, well, I guess I went up to the third heaven, but I can't really tell you anything about it. You know, no, what, really? what, you know, yeah, because we you couldn't handle that it. guy. If, if I went to apply for another mega church job and I said, well, I was caught up into third heaven, but I can't really tell you about it. They would say, <laughs> we're not going to hire you. You are a freak. Exactly. You and know, what's funny is I go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go first. Cause I, but then I've got a thread to follow here. Okay. I was just going to make the comment that I, I, for a long time, especially as I was headed towards like, you know, whatever progressive Christianity means. Mm. But at, at, at the very least, in some circles, it means like, oh, Paul's such a bigot, you know, like we have all this judgment for Paul. And I remember I, in an ayahuasca ceremony that I was in, I, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, how much just shitty judgment, like this uber ugly liberal judgment I had for Paul. Mm. And for some reason, the only way I can describe it is I just had this experience of seeing how radical Paul was in the, in the time he inhabited. Totally. Like what an absolute, like progressive is not strong enough of a word for what he was doing in the first century. And it finally like hit me, like if I could be half as progressive as Paul was in my own era, like mm. it would be incredible. Like I'd love to be a force for reimagining what it was to be human in 2021 yeah incredible but uh, this judgment i had for somebody who lived in a time i can't even imagine living in you know it just right. evaporated for me in that moment and i just had this like oh my brother you know mm -hmm. what a That's guy right. like thank you for pointing us forward what a gift yeah i mean i would and the line one line that was coming to me is no male or female jew or gentile slave or free <laughs> i mean right. there's there's not a progressive on the planet <laughs> right now that's posting yeah. a, a posting progressive that yeah. has had that kind of mystical realization. Yeah, they're, they're not saying there's good. no Democrat or Republican yeah, these exactly, days. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. They're all cocking their guns right now. Yeah. Man. We're ready to fight. <laughs> We're all about gun control, but first let's get through this and I'm gonna get yeah. my uh, concealed weapon. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so okay, so here's a, here's something else that. I'd, I'd like to mention, and maybe you resonate with this a bit too. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I was craving something and, and what I was craving was experience. And maybe mm -hmm. I could even say I was craving a spiritual life and what was not satisfying it was talking about a spiritual life. Oh, and, right. and the interesting thing that that happened to me, and this is not my choosing, is that as soon as I started getting more honest and saying, this is not working for me, and even courageous in saying, for example, I'm not a Christian, then I started having strange, numinous, mystical, upside down experiences, caught in dreams, altered states of consciousness. In other words, a spiritual life started happening unto me. And actually what sparked this was what you said about grief. The beginning of the end for me started with grief. Mm. I was um, at 9,000 feet in New Mexico in, what, in, in a kind of alpine meadow. 
And I was down by the river and my intention was to do some kind of ceremony. I don't even remember what. Um, I think maybe at the time I felt like I wanted to commit myself to being taking the inner journey more seriously. What happened to me is that I fell into a well of grief that I didn't know was there. And it had such a powerful life of its own. All I could do was just surrender to the waves of laughter and tears and howling. And if you would have stopped me at the end of this and said, what are you upset about? I would have no idea. I mean, I had no idea. And words were insufficient. It's not like I was, well, I'm sad about my job or my dad has a terrible disease or even I'm not sure what to do with my life. None of that. It was just the experience of being taken. I think I might say I was grieving um, the unlived life. I I, I don't, maybe that's what I would say, Mm -hmm. but um, and maybe I just was in touch with the tragic and beautiful nature of life itself. I don't know, but it turned my world around. And that's what I mean about, I started to have a spiritual life when I, about the same time I got so uncomfortable talking about a spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And um, then I wanted to follow that thread. I was like, nope, um, that's what I'm craving. Mm -hmm. Um, That makes sense. And for sure, I mean, thankfully, one thing I'm proud of, you know, I look back on <laughs> one, of, one of my friends, you know, Peter, you know, he, we, he uses that phrase from Ken Wilber, which is probably one of his greatest phrases, transcend and include as a, as a way of moving forward, right? I don't need to explain that for this joke, but <laughs> he just says, he said, I like to transcend and be embarrassed. Like, <laughs> I look yeah. back on what I used to say, some of the things I used to believe, the way I would operate, the way I would lead because of how I was trained in evangelical Christianity. And I just look back and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm just so embarrassed. But one of the things I am proud of is that I've always as best I could at every stage of consciousness, I really did want to know God. Like mm-hmm. it was authentic, like for me, like, like I, I remember, man, I, even as a mega church pastor, I never had like a cool green room to go back to. And, and oh, uh, I did, I did. <laughs> I, I, I like, I would show up. I wouldn't just like roll up right before my sermon and do it and then head out, you know, and like, I would show up before the setup team, or, or like even when we had a building, I'd show up before, like about, about the time that people were making coffee and I would pray over every single chair in a room where at the biggest we'd ever sat, it was like oh, almost 2000 seats in that room. And I would pray over those things because it was, nobody was in the room. Nobody was like, I wasn't trying to be pious That's and right. cool yeah. and, and mm-hmm. spiritual. I really wanted, I wanted to know God and I wanted other people to know God. And I had had enough of an experience growing up in evangelicalism. I joke about it a lot now, but it, there's a reason it lasted in me uh, up until my basically, you know, late 30s. I had authentic, transcendent experiences with people in worship, in prayer. Um, I had a particular you know, glossary of terms that I dumped on top of those experiences in order to give them um, 
texture that I could communicate. When I pull those off, I, I think those were authentic experiences, but I poured like, you know, the, all the language that fit drive. But that's one thing I'm thankful for is like, eventually I think it led me out, but that was the thread that actually before I even started the church was true. That I, 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 I want to know, I don't want to memorize the sacred or transcendent experiences of dead people. Yeah. I want to, I want to experience them myself. I want to know God. God is real. Then I want to know God. I want to feel God. Mm -hmm. I want to make love to God. I want to do whatever I can do in relationship to this presence and power. Um, And I'm, I'm really, and that's uh, still alive today. So in some ways it's like, I still have the same faith as ever. I'm, I'm fucking with the tools, you know? Yep, exactly. And I, I actually, that's, it's very beautiful what you're saying. It reminded me of a Rilke line. Um, he says, uh, uh, go to the limits of your longing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that just that image of, of you praying over those chairs. And actually, even when I got, when I uh, first got to know you and I would come to Eastlake and teach, um, you, you were still like that. I don't know if you were praying over each chair, but you were there <laughs> and you were moving each of the chairs and making sure they're in the right place and making sure people have what they need. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part yeah. of maybe just how you lead, but I just, there was a kind of authenticity that you always carried that also carried you. you it's just, you don't know where the limits of the longing go. You know, it's just like, but it's worth trusting. And I think, mm. I think just try to say something helpful. Um, early on in the kind of thing that we're describing, which is, you can use all kinds of metaphors. When the soul starts knocking on the door of your life, let's just use that for the time being. One of the most important things you can do is try to get as authentic as you can. Even if you don't even know what that is, just say, follow the longing, follow it as authentically as you can and see what unfolds. instead of maybe shrinking back, it, it, it's a courageous move. Um, and a kind of raw possibility that I might be wrong is actually quite enlivening. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going um, in mm-hmm. this kind of wildly authentic way. And if I make an ass of myself, so be it. At least, at least I wasn't pretending, you know? Yes. That's mm-hmm. the beauty of confession. Something I still think is one of the most powerful spiritual practices anyone can engage in is it sounds so like it, it, I guess it's freighted with a lot of like shame and bullshit church baggage, but, mm-hmm. but to bring forward what's inside yeah. is not only to live authentically, which of course we're all, you know, that's a word we all throw around. We want to have authentic relationships or whatever, yeah. but it's not just like, Oh, it's good to live in truth. But I actually find that when I articulate what's in here, mm-hmm. I actually touch it in a deeper way. It's almost like an artist, you know, painting something. It's already in here, but it's in the process of bringing it forward that you get to behold its beauty. Mm-hmm. And, and not to say that everything within us is beautiful necessarily, or that we'll experience it that way. But even in my experiences, you know, holding space for people who take are taking like high dose plant medicine. I, I like to encourage them. Like if you have the courage to verbalize what's happening in the journey, it will almost double the intensity. And even just yesterday I had this experience where 
this person is starting to articulate the feeling. And just by saying the truth of what's happening internally, there's this massive energetic, like somatic or emotional flood that comes through and like, and here's where all the grief, but the grief couldn't pop through until there was this confession or this, I agree, whatever, this, Mm -hmm. this longing that was articulated. Yep. Even, even with um, active imagination, which is some, something I use with people sometimes. So in active imagination where it's a bit guided, but then you, you drop people off and you don't know what's happening to do a check-in. Like if you're willing, could you, could you take me into what's happening in your experience? And as soon as their mouth opens, the whole mm-hmm. thing just, it's like it, the trap door opens, you know? Yeah. I've yes. seen you do that really well in dream work with people too. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I'd say that's one of the things I appreciate most about you. I remember even, even when I was at, at the, your, your mega, I'll call it your mega church. How's that? <laughs> even with, after the sermon, I was present while you interacted with a couple of different people. And what I have always appreciated about you is I just have never felt from you that you feel any pressure to bullshit about anything. Like small talk is like, you're just not interested in it. So when people ask you a question, you're going to tell them like what you think. And that ability to, I guess what I watch when I watch you do it is, I see people ask you something and, and of course you're going to respond to people who are asking actually to, to let, to hear something from you, but you, you are good at like pausing and checking in like, Hmm, what, what do I, I mean, you even do this when you teach, you like think out loud, what am I trying to say here? And you reflect in, you check in what's here and then you offer as best you can. Here's what's going on inside of me. And, and I found but that's helped me be a better just friend or, or mm. even parent. Like it take a pause, take that question in and then pause for one second and find out like, you know, Hey, what's really in here. And then offer that in truth. I, I, I guess I just want to say like, I've learned a lot about how to do that from you. Well, I mean, first, thanks for mirroring that back to me because it's not always obvious to me that that's what's going on. And sometimes I'm doing that. And maybe sometimes it's just a persona that I'm putting out there. <laughs> like I'm not going to with your it. monocle and your, and <laughs> yeah. your pipe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, that kind of internal check-in, I, I, I hope to grow into that kind of person. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, okay. So t- two things I want to say first, I was thinking about confession, like, just the way you framed it in such an interesting way. And also the context of uh, plant medicine and now dreams and active imagination. And it's just so funny that people will say, our oh, church is like, oh, you know, so oppressive and patriarchal and you have to confess your sins, which they're confessing <laughs> to their therapist. You know, they're saying yeah. they're, they're bitching about church and, 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 yes. and it's, it's uh, oppressive <laughs> structures of confession. And except yeah. they're paying one hundred and fifty dollars an hour for it, so the, yeah, there's something really important about it. The, just the the relationship between articulation and and the somatic, bodily, emotional way of being. You know, there there's a link. You know, and maybe the scriptures even have some insight in associating the divine with word. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's straight from Yahweh or the, the Hebrew orientation. There was something about 
the relationship between word and what they were imagining the divine to be. So, mm -hmm. um, okay. So maybe let's see what time is it? So we've been going close to an hour. Let's, let's try to, if we can maybe mm -hmm. say, what's the leading edge for you right now? What, what do you feel um, maybe in your own life or more broadly in the culture? What's, what's kind of pulling you, luring you, tugging at you? Um, what would you say? Mm. There's probably a number of things. I mean, it would be hard to say at this point in our cultural moment that I'm not like concerned about some of the trends of polarization that I see. You know, this, this inability for nuance or dialogue, this like you're with us or you're Hitler kind of a mentality on both sides of the fence. That concerns me. Um, but having nodded at, yes, I'm aware of all the chaos. That's not probably what's consuming my heart the most these days. Um, I guess what I would, one thing that's surprising me is how much lately I've been drawn back to some pretty basic spiritual practices that I learned growing up in Christianity. Um, I don't hold them the same way mm -hmm. and they're not freighted with a bunch of knowing, but in some ways it kind of goes back to what we were saying with confession. Like I've come back to these, I get, I would think healthy habits that it with just a slight phrasing change are just ways of being psychologically healthy and whole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, what? like what? Um, well, like, so confession we've already talked about, but um, finding ways to reg. So I'd say regulating my nervous system mm. by getting close to my breath. Mm. Um, even just in my, uh, whatever we want to term our journey into ancient Christian practices. You know, there's a lot of contemplative tradition in, in uh, the history of the sort of the desert fathers and mothers where uh, a lot of those contemplative practices have become really important to me. Mm -hmm. And even prayer, not in the sense of placating or laundry listing my, you know, the Christmas things I want from my Santa in the sky kind of prayer, but that humble posture of recognizing that there's a frame of reality, you know, whether you want to call that a zero point energy field or the great radiance or the everything seed or God or whatever, I don't yeah. care what the name is, but to know that like there is an order to this experience that I'm having as Ryan right now. And you know, as you know, I've after cancer, I sort of whittled my whole life philosophy down to two basic things. Life is a gift. Love is the point. So the first movement is the movement of gratitude. And I take that into what I would now call my prayer life, which to be honest, dude, I, I went years without praying. I was just so done with, you know, dear Jesus, get me into a parking space or even something as simple as so, uh, or more substantial, like heal my kid from this ailment. Yeah. when you know god's letting everybody all eight hundred thousand kids die of diarrhea like i i got rid of prayer in a adolescent and brokenhearted i would say mm. like fuck this shit you know the world is just this meaningless mess and 
and actually it's cancer and, and psychedelics that ha have brought me back into this posture of just gratitude. Like I don't have the answers, but I know a, there's a larger frame of reality out of which I emerge. And when I express gratitude, almost like, it's almost like a shotgun blast. Like, I don't know who this is for, mm -hmm. but thank you. <laughs> it yeah. orients my heart toward my experience of life in a way that, that um, lowers my blood pressure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it stops me from living on the stress hormones and, and flooding my body with cortisol. And those are all poisonous ways to be. So, you know, that's just a couple examples, but it's been coming back to prayer has been almost in, in some ways surprising. And I even told a friend, I was a little bit embarrassed. Like I was like, you know, I'm actually praying a lot now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's like funny. I'm taking drugs or something like yeah. that. I started praying. I'm kind of addicted. <laughs> so just praying in gratitude and then life is a gift. Love is the point is the second half. And, yeah. and, you know, I see that all over, you know, my formation in Christian spirituality, which is, you know, what does it look like to give back from a place of abundant generosity from that, that love um, and finding ways to, to do that as a practice instead of like, a do good or should type of energy. Yeah. Lovely. Amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe just to turn the question on myself for a second. Um, well, first of all, I resonate with being uh, embarrassed because like I'm working on a new book and it is jam full of biblical verses and texts. I'm like, Ooh, or sometimes I'll make a podcast, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry that I've got to bring this up, you know? Yeah. And what is that about? It's, I'll tell you what it's not about. It's not about my, um, being unable to let go of something. Mm -hmm. Now, Actually, it's in, in the process of letting go of the necessity to cling to the biblical narrative as a source of identity that I, dis, that I begin to discover its depths. And it, the archetypal, and all I mean is patterns, the patterns that are true and mm -hmm. that, are, that point to a kind of psychological and spiritual way of being in the world that we ought not to be so quick to dismiss. And I, I'm mm -hmm. finding myself as a, almost a kind of defender of, of the ancient ways. And I'm not speaking just exclusively of Christianity or Judaism or something. I just mean the ancient ways. Yeah. It's so funny that, um, I mean, from an evolutionary point of view, let's just say we're in our current form, something like 2 million years old. Um, mm -hmm. the, 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 the Bible and its archetypal structures came out of that being shaped from 2 million years of evolution. Mm -hmm. And to think that that is old and outdated, I mean, it's like um, there's no time gap between 2021 and when somebody <laughs> sat down with a, you know, with a parchment and wrote the 10 mm -hmm. commandments. It's a blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. So yes. anyway, I, I do find myself in some ways resonating with the, the poetry that that is the Bible and that 
for better or worse, and sometimes for worse, is also part of the structure of the collective Western psyche. So it's like playing with fire in a, in a fun way. You know, people, oh, I'm mm-hmm. not into the Bible. Um, it's just, it's, that's a kind of facade. It, just in the way it, it speaks to structures of meaning that are, um, that are, I guess, part of the psyche. So, um, on the, and so part, part of that is the leading edge for me. What responsibility do I have to embody and be calm and interested in, in what has worked? Like what you're saying about prayer and, mm-hmm. um, and contemplation and listening and the spoken word and, um, and to be faithful in a way to, um, to some of the stories and the symbols. I think that's probably the best way to say it faithful Mm -hmm. to what, to what, to the symbols themselves and the way they both give us meaning and mess with us, like mess with the ego structures. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel myself doing that, which is very edgy. And in this sense, I feel like I do not belong in, in on the right or the left. I see the blessings and the curses of both. I, I initially mm-hmm. thought maybe you did too that, oh, I'm, I'm going to leave in evangelical Christianity. And there's this great wide open world called progressive Christianity. That's just <laughs> with open arms. And I realized, oh my God, they're even yeah. more bitter. And well, actually I got this from Tony Jones. He, he said the the right crucifies yeah. other people, the left crucifies their own. And, and I yep. found that to be the case. Absolutely. So, I, I don't think it's a problem that I feel like a misfit, but it feels like, like, all right, what is it? What does it look like to remain in this place? So that's one edge. The other edge is, and continue to open my being up to the mystery, mm-hmm. like to let my life be shaped by something. This, if I can remain there, uh, then I will die um, having, you know, tried to crack my chest open as much as I can. Mm, mm. And that's hard. That's hard uh, to do when the culture is demanding your attention. Pay attention to this tweet. Pay attention to who's not tweeting. Pay attention to just the urgency and tyranny of the, of the impermanent. Is Yeah, the information deluge that is just constant. Absolutely. What's funny about that too is, um, you know, I can't remember the way you phrased it, but letting your life be shaped by the mystery, I think mm-hmm. is how you said it. Yeah. What I, what I would suggest, and I, I, I think you agree with this, but the truth is, is it's really bringing consciousness and a willingness to what is going to happen no matter what. Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the mystery that is living us, that is breathing us, right? This, uh, I guess, this 13.5 billion year experiment in aggregate immortality, or at least 4.5 on Earth, this yeah. aggregate immortality experiment of life in the universe um, is living us. It is. And we are a ecological relationship unto ourselves related to broader whole ons of relationship. Yes. And so in some ways it's like, it's just a willingness to let go of the illusion that I'm a separate 
being in charge of even not you know it's like yeah i don't right. have a choice that's right that's right and, and in some ways that's the impulse that's good about trying to go back to maybe the ancient ways yeah is because more and more of us are waking up to the idea that the dream of the culture the myth of our culture you know even let's just say the small tiny myth of america the great the fantasy it's eroding we're going this story sucks yeah you know it's not it's not working at on the one hand for some of us and it's certainly not working for uh, all of us it's not working for the world mm -hmm. the way we're we're playing this this narrative out and so we're more and more of us are waking up saying there's got to be a better story to live out there yeah. a better mythos and mm -hmm. and so to to you know in your case to go back to the scriptures and be wrestling with what we just thought about yesterday aka 2000 years ago or something yeah, exactly <laughs> all it's the same thing for me like when i my interest in altered states of consciousness uh whether it's plant medicine or trance dance or whatever mm -hmm. recognizing that all cultures throughout human history all over the world have highly valued altered states of consciousness and sought to cultivate them yeah. except for modern western <laughs> culture we decide yeah. That's psychotic. That doesn't belong here. You're crazy. Yeah. And then you look at, okay, well, what does a culture that calls all that stuff crazy, what does it do in the world? Well, it creates this. Here we are Just poisoning ourselves with our own yeah. technology. Yeah. <laughs> We're suffocating in our own smog. You know, it's like mm -hmm. there's something about a call back to some ancient ways of being, mm -hmm. which probably begin with ancient ways of thinking mm -hmm. um, that we have to get back to. So yeah. I, I applaud that. I think. Yeah. I love that you're going back to these old ways of mm -hmm. thinking about reality. Yeah, I mean, and let me just add a little nuance here. I'm not. I'm also not one that sort of looks back at ancient indigenous people and puts them up on some kind of like mythic Garden of Eden status. I mean, we're talking yeah, about an sure. evolution of consciousness. I disagree with many things in the Bible. I think indigenous <laughs> people didn't do everything right. You know, so. Yeah. It's it's more nuanced. It's pretty violent times. Exactly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can give you many examples, which I'll just I feel like I'll hold my tongue right now. But um, and and maybe one other piece to that. Speaking of of the ancient way, um, saying saying yes to the consciousness that this is happening unto us anyway. The ancient word for that was surrender. You know, mm -hmm. and that's what Islam means to surrender. Mm -hmm. And I know like, oh, mm -hmm. Allah, he's a mean God or whatever. I'm talking about just the, the spiritual genius of what that in our, in our contemporary language, what's happening to the ego, you know, mm -hmm. it's, yes. it's, it's surrender, it's surrender, it's death. And mm -hmm. they were right on about that. Um, all right. So I guess... I want to say thanks for coming on today and <laughs> yeah, man, I, I love, love hanging out with I you. I love you. And it's, I love you too, man. Um, it's been a joy to be your friend and, um, and also to learn from you. And it, there's nothing more exciting than, than seeing someone grow, you know, mm. Mm. And um, you've not arrived and I've not arrived. That's what I mean. I don't mean that. I just mean, what a joy to, to see someone continue to grow and 
and take risks um, is a beautiful thing. So mm. um, thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, likewise, I'm so thankful for our friendship. And it's been, like I said, one of my big griefs of 2020 has been the, I, I had so looked forward to our quarterly hangouts and, and retreats and leading people together. And so for sure, I, I feel you there. And, and I hope for not, not things to go back to the way they were, but for us to enter into at least a different season where we can still see each other more regularly, man. Totally. All right. I'm pausing this recording. <laughs>